Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 129. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And this continues to be a time to stay vigilant. I would say that this is now on track, Peter, to be the largest airlift in U.S. history. Uh, so, and that is a, a bringing American citizens out. It is bringing our Afghan partners out. It is bringing allies out. Uh, So no, I would not say that is anything but a success. I would not say that this is anything but a success. A success? That's what White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki thinks this is in Afghanistan right now. A success. This mess in Afghanistan is the farthest thing from a success we've seen since Trump's initial COVID response when he failed to activate the Pentagon and instead rolled out the MyPillow guy and told everybody to inject Lysol into their veins to stop the virus. This is not a success. But despite what you've seen on your screens, despite the images of people falling from American C-17 airplanes after they take off, despite the scenes of mothers handing babies over razor wire to strangers to save them, despite the Afghan allies that are already dead and the thousands that are being hunted now or are stranded outside the walls, standing in the heat, in the sewage, they want you to believe this is a success. They want you to believe this would have happened anyway. They want you to believe this is an awesome good news story about fantastic logistics and babies being born inside American airplanes. It's not. This is not a success. This is not a good news story. And you should not let them spin you. Stay vigilant, people. Failing to plan is planning to fail. And the whole world can see now how badly our president and White House failed to plan. And they can see us all scrambling. And they can see his minions all across the White House trying to spin the truth, trying to contrast what you can see for yourself. Does this look like success to you? The White House is working hard to spin Afghanistan into the good news story that so many people want to hear. And they're doing it with emotional pictures of saved kids and messages anchored in unconfirmed evacuation numbers, without context. At 8.36 a.m. today, the White House tweeted this. Update from 3 a.m. Eastern on 8.24 to 3 a.m. Eastern on 8.25, approximately 19,000 people were evacuated from Kabul. 42 U.S. military flights carried approximately 11,200 evacuees, and 48 coalition flights carried 7,800 people. That's what the White House put out today. And it's content that the media and the public just retweets without question. Don't fall for it, people. Instead of pushing out messages that recognize the moral injury of this moment, instead of pushing out mental health support phone numbers, the White House is pushing out their, without context, evacuation numbers. It's like a scoreboard in a game they think they're winning. And it's their case to you that this is a success. Numbers, numbers, numbers. The same ones from all angles from across the administration, without larger context and without a goal. This is what a coordinated PR strategy looks like. This is what spin looks like. They say they've evacuated over 70,000 people now. But how many needed to be evacuated total? That's the question they don't answer. The Association of Wartime Allies, led by our recent guest Matt Zeller, says there are 215,000 allies to go. 215,000. And that's just Afghan allies. They don't even know how many Americans are left behind, too. And they've got five days left now to do it. Even if this is the largest airlift in history, the situation was so bad that it required the largest airlift in history. That's not a success. You don't get a pat on the back for pulling the car out of the ditch after you drove that car into the ditch. It's time for members of the media and the public to ask the White House, what's the goal? They've got to ask for context rather than just parroting the numbers the government celebrates every day. 
They love pushing out these numbers. But just imagine how different America's overall involvement in Afghanistan would have looked if they did this for killed in action and wounded numbers for the last 20 years. Maybe then it wouldn't have been for Gatistan. But the spin machines are working overtime. And some people are pushing back. Wesley Morgan is the author of a book called The Hardest Place, The Military Adrift in Afghanistan's Peck Valley. And he tweeted this week, People who are only or primarily able to think about the tragedy in Afghanistan through a lens of U.S. partisan politics are revealing something ugly about themselves. He's right. And plenty of people are revealing that ugly. People like MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell. I've called out Tucker Carlson on Fox News in the past, but Lawrence O'Donnell, MSNBC, he needs calling out too. This week, he tweeted celebratorily, evacuated from Afghanistan after Kabul fell, 70,700. Evacuated from Vietnam after Saigon fell, zero. This is a guy who continues to say this is nothing like Saigon and continues to just echo the numbers coming out of the White House. Carry that water, Lawrence. Keep on carrying that water, man. Your friends in the White House appreciate it, I'm sure. But the Afghan people sure don't especially the hundreds of thousands that will never make it out. But Lawrence O'Donnell isn't the only one. Connecticut Senator and Democrat Chris Murphy is still the lead water carrier for Biden and the White House and the Senate. Now, most Democrats are smartly avoiding doing this, but not Chris Murphy. Like so many other partisans, he's defending Biden and this mess in Afghanistan. And he's pushing hard on spreading and celebrating those White House evacuation numbers every day. I think Chris Murphy's been great on a lot of issues, especially on gun violence. But on this one, he's dead wrong. He tweeted this week, Staying in Afghanistan past August may be necessary, but those who so casually advocate for it should be honest about the costs. If war breaks out again with the Taliban, we would need to airlift tens of thousands of new troops and many Americans would die. Well, Senator, there's nothing casual about the advocacy of most of us, especially those of us that have friends there in danger now. What's casual is parroting the talking points of the White House like a robot. And here's what would serve the American and the Afghan people and the president very well. Chris Murphy should stop tweeting numbers from the White House, and he should debate fellow Democrat Seth Moulton on Afghanistan. Seth Moulton is a combat veteran who just got back from a trip to Afghanistan, and he's been pushing for extending Biden's deadline beyond August 31st. So here's what I propose. Senator Murphy and Congressman Moulton should debate. There's way too many debates on TV of Republican versus Democrats. Let's see the Democrats against the Democrats. After all, it's their president, and I invite them both to do it here on my show. Or do it anywhere else. I don't care. C-SPAN, PBS, anywhere. Because this is not a game. But since everyone loves to see a scoreboard, and it drives up the ratings, and everyone is so used to it all after a year of obsessing over COVID infection, death, and vaccination numbers, this is what the White House is rolling with. And plenty of people are buying it. And after all this pain in the last few years, people really want a good news story. They want to believe that Afghanistan is a success. And there are some good news stories out there. This week, we found out the FDA has finally approved the Pfizer vaccine. It's good news, and I think it'll help some people get over the line and get the shot. It also means that the military COVID vaccine mandate is now finally on the way. This is a long overdue no-brainer that will protect our force. I've said it for months. If you're in the military, get the shot or get out. But that doesn't apply to our presence in Afghanistan. We only had one shot to get out, and we blew it. And Biden said it again this week. He's focused on getting American troops out of Afghanistan by August 31st. Or maybe not. He kind of waffled a bit. But he's stubbornly digging in, doubling down on stupid, despite how many allies and Americans will be left behind. It's the wrong thing to do. It's also highly unlikely now we see that he can even pull it off. So according to them, they're getting out as many as 8,900 people a day with at least 200,000 to go. And all that stops five days from now. That's what Biden says. 
if that happens, then the really scary part starts for the Afghans and for any Americans left behind. If we pull up stakes on August 31st, we ain't seen nothing yet. So send all your thoughts and prayers to our troops, because this is an insanely tough mission they've got now. And send those thoughts and prayers to the Afghans, because even though Biden wants to end our war on August 31st, if we pull up stakes, it's just getting started for the Afghans. And it will be open season on our allies, and open season particularly on women and girls and anyone that the Taliban doesn't approve of. We've got much more coming up on that with our guest. You don't want to miss this. The Afghanistan pullout is not a success. It's not a good news story about how much America is doing right now. It's still about how bad it is. And no matter how many our military can save this week, Biden's still digging out of a massive and deepening hole. Look, there's what the White House is telling you, and then there's the truth. I continue to get desperate notes on every social media platform, some from people I hardly or don't even know. I got one this week on Facebook from a guy that was my Uber driver once. He wrote to me, you know situation in Afghanistan is terrible now. My little sister and brother and all my family are in Kabul. Their lives are dangerous because they were working with the U.S. Army at Bagram Airfield. I'm concerned about my family, under a lot of pressure. Please help if you could in this situation. Thanks. This guy found me on social media last night. I met him once. Vets and other people connected to Afghanistan across America have been getting heartbreaking notes like this for weeks. But Biden hasn't listened to vets like Matt Zeller. He hasn't listened to the 46 veterans groups that want to meet with him. And he hasn't listened to Congressman Seth Moulton or any of the other vets in Congress, even those from his own party. You've been hearing it from me. You heard it from Matt Zeller. You heard it from Jane Horton. And you're going to hear it again this episode. The level of anger and betrayal being felt across the veterans and military community right now is off the charts. Because Biden didn't listen. He didn't even meet with anyone from our community focused on this issue. The evacuations are ending. Biden is letting the Taliban call the shots. And what's left of that Jenga tower is going down. World War II vets that faced kamikaze attacks told me about how the 9-11 attacks triggered a lot of emotions for them. Vietnam vets are telling me now how the images out of Afghanistan are doing the same for them. Now is a time for veterans and Americans of all generations to check on each other. I know it's hard right now, but try to stay frosty. We need to stay unified and focused. We know the worst is likely still to come, and we'll need every single leader we can get. Biden might be quitting on our friends left behind, but we can't, and we won't. Democrats, Republicans, and especially independent Americans. There's an overwhelming majority of Americans that support the effort to save our Afghan allies. It's a uniquely, amazingly bipartisan issue. And nothing I've seen since 9-11 has united the veterans and military community more broadly or more strongly. It's prompted thousands to action. It's forced them to execute their own mission, a mission now being called Digital Dunkirk, named after the famous World War II operation to evacuate thousands. If you haven't seen the movie Dunkirk, watch it and you'll understand. And if you've been watching any media in the last few weeks, you understand. We've all seen the disturbing images of thousands of people scrambling to get out of the Karzai airport in Afghanistan. Who will live? Who will die? Who is making it into the American planes? And who is not? What the hell is really happening on the ground there? Independent Americans is continuing our unique focus on the collapse of Afghanistan with an urgent new conversation with an inspiring American leader who's working night and day to save lives. This is a voice that too many in America still haven't heard. A voice the president clearly hasn't heard. A critical voice that you'll hear now. When I remind you to look for the helpers, our guest in this episode is one of the finest I know. It's my friend my ally, my fellow IAVA board member, and one of my true personal heroes, 
Kristen Rouse. Army veteran and humanitarian Kristen Rouse is leading Digital Dunkirk. It's a makeshift army of people all across America that are rushing to help Afghans navigate bureaucracy, avoid the Taliban, and find a golden airplane slot to safety. Kristen's a renowned national voice for veterans, LGBTQ people, refugees, and all humanity. She's been working nonstop for weeks to save as many Afghan allies as possible. She's been a leader on all of the most important veterans and national security issues for decades. And now she's been working nonstop for weeks to save as many Afghan allies as possible. Kristen's one of the most important veterans and national security advocates in America. She has served in the Army, Reserves, and Guard for more than 23 years. She served in Afghanistan for a combined 13 months. As a civilian, she created regional and citywide logistic plans and programs for New York City's Office of Emergency Management. And after her third tour of duty in Afghanistan, she founded the New York City Veterans Alliance. She continues to serve in the U.S. Army Reserves. She just got back from a deployment to New Orleans where she was helping vaccinate people. And she's on the board at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. She also teaches literature and writing as an adjunct professor and has been The Times, The Daily Beast, MSNBC, NPR, and much more. Kristen's going to take us inside the makeshift command center inside her home as she works in real time to save her own Afghan interpreter and others. Kristen is another conscience for America that will break down why all the latest news is about so much more than Afghanistan. It's a fast-paced conversation that'll show you sides you won't see on cable news. You'll get a deeper look into the policy failures, the military challenges, the humanitarian needs, and you'll hear why Biden's new August 31st pullout date may be a death warrant for thousands. It's another urgent conversation to inspire and to help you stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, especially right now. And it's a price so many Afghans are risking their lives for as you hear my voice. Independent Americans is adding light to contrast the heat, truth to fight the spin. And we're bringing the Righteous Media Five Eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And we're bringing the ground truth, the real truth you need to hear without the spin. Welcome to a look into a combat operation of a very different kind. Welcome to a very, very human side of the war in Afghanistan. Welcome to a voice that's communicating the humanity of the Afghan people that are right now questioning the humanity of the American people. Welcome to Digital Dunkirk. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 129. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, in Afghanistan, and especially uh, here at home, focused on the most important issue in the world. Uh, Afghanistan continues to fall into chaos. It, it is thankfully still at the front of the news cycle, and it's definitely the number one topic for us here on Independent Americans. We want to continue to bring you light to contrast the heat and continue to bring you important insights that you're not getting anywhere else. Our guest today is somebody I've wanted on this show since it started. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, she couldn't join us. She was on active duty. She had jobs that wouldn't allow it. But she is very much a leader of the moment who is in the middle of all of this. Um, she is one of the finest activists I've ever known. She's a dear friend. Uh, she sits with me on the board at IVA. She founded the New York City Veterans Alliance. I think uh, a generation from now, she will go down as a legend of, of, our, of our community and of our time in more ways that, than, than we understand right now. But she's in a tremendous individual. She's in the middle of it right now. We're going to hear more about that. The great and powerful Kristen Rouse finally joins us. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. It is, it is an honor to be on this show. Uh, this has been such a great lineup that you've had. And um, I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on. Number one, um, I wish we had lots of drinks for this because <laughs> it's been a really hard time. And I, I love you very much. And I am so grateful for all that you're doing. We've been in, you know, almost hourly touch 
don't know, for a couple of years on a lot of different issues on everything from the GI Bill, don't ask, don't tell, mental health. But um, you have been thrust to the forefront of the national consciousness on this issue in a way that I think is very important. Um, and what you're dealing with in the same way Zeller and Jane and a few others are is really surreal. So I'm going to ask you this for everyone to hear. How are you and where are you? Well, surreal is kind of like the entry point to get at what what this has felt like. Um, I'm I'm in my living room in New York City, uh, I, you know, right here in in Brooklyn. Um, but this has been this has been a deployment. This is my this has turned into an operations center. Um, you know, I have stuff rearranged. You know, very, like this is sort of the the TV ready. Uh, shot, but uh, I'm not showing you all the rest of this, uh, you know, but, but it's been, um, it's, it has truly felt like a deployment. Uh, it has truly felt like, um, you know, every, every night, which is daytime Afghanistan time, uh, all through the night, the last several nights, it's been like, you know, it's been like having troops out in contact um, every single night. And uh, except for our, our troops um, have no body armor. They have no vehicles with armor. Um, their dads, their moms, uh, their young children, who we are trying to get uh, into the one exit point right now uh, of a, a, a nation that has been taken over by a horrific uh, dark force. Um, and people are desperate to get out. There's one exit point. And, uh, and as, you know, as we've been messaging back and forth, as, you know, as Matt Zeller has been talking about, as so many people have been talking about, people can't get in. People can't get in the gates to be able to fly out and escape the Taliban who are threatening them, who are uh, texting them. Uh, we know who you are. We have your number. We know where you are. Uh, they're sending letters. They're, knocking, they're pounding on doors. They're absolutely terrorizing people. And, uh, and, and at outside of, all outside of the airport, it, they are shooting, uh, you know, AKs, dishkas um, into the crowd um, and uh, beating people and insulting them and, uh, and, and refusing, refusing passage. Uh, even even for our friends who have all the right paperwork, and so you know it's it's been it's been it's been uh, this is we're, it's like ten days now uh, troops in contact every night, and yeah. uh, and and except for I don't you know I have my all of my soldiers are remote, and mm. uh, and and we don't we don't have we don't have a blue force tracker we don't have all the all the technology that we had in in theater we're we're, we're you know, this is all DIY. This is all, we're all doing it ourselves. So, Kristen, you did 31 months in Afghanistan. You yeah. uh, founded, you know, a group to advocate on behalf of veterans that in New York City that I think was really the leading voice and in many ways a key ally to IAVA. And we worked, you know, hand in glove on so many things. Um, you know, you you have thankfully been able to shape this this understanding for a lot of people in the national media and in the international media. They're calling you. Um, but I want to ask you as best you can, I feel like the human component of this is being lost in the last couple of days, the white house and the administration have tripled down on pushing out numbers of how many they're saving daily, but they're not giving the context of how many remain, how many are dying, how many are being wounded, how many will never make it out. So I want to try to pick apart a couple of pieces that I don't think are being understood anywhere else to include i want you to help people understand the taliban because i don't think they do i don't think our president does but but right now you and countless other veterans are running this digital dunkirk right this this underground railroad and it's happening in living rooms across the country and there's a degree of coordination but can you talk about in real time as i know you want to keep things confidential we had to delay this interview a little bit we may have to cut it short why what's happening right now that you can share with people to help them understand the, the the obscenity of this i feel like i, I would be i mean I, I could talk to you for hours about this um just right now in the situation that i'm monitoring and, and you know if you hear any notifications or we have to 
you know, edit this for me to sort of jump to, to what's happening in real time. Um, uh, my, my own translator, uh, we have been trying to get out. We thought we had a solution lined up for him uh, 30 hours ago. Uh, we sent him out from, from the, the safe house that he and his, his family were hiding in. Um, they, were, they were having to change different locations for days. Um, we had him out at gates, you know, the last few days, you know, to try to get him in. He was not able to get in. There was just all this violence. His children are weeping and screaming and traumatized uh, by all of just the, the abject violence that is happening outside of these gates, absolutely unchecked uh, by, by any military. Uh, the Taliban basically are running the entire outside of the airport. And um, uh, so 30 hours ago, uh, we said, OK, it's time to go. Uh, go to this location. He could not get to that location because of the masses of crowds, just the, just the human masses that are gathered outside of this airport because it is the one exit point from Afghanistan for those who are being terrorized by Taliban. And, um, and so it's, it's, he's, so all of these things keep not working out. I'm, you know, he's sending me like, you know, map dots of like, here's where I am. Can you send someone to get me? Uh, and we've been trying to get somebody to go get him. And he's literally having to move, uh, move his family and his young children, his wife and young children uh, from location to location because they are actually like, you know, he doesn't have a beard. They're finding him. They're saying, who are you? What are you doing here? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? And he's like, I mean, he's like, he'll like put his family in one place and then like try to, to hide himself because he's the person who's being targeted because he served with us. And, um, and, and the Taliban are, are, they have even said their, their intent is to keep Afghans from getting into the airport to leave the country. Uh, they have stated that, uh, and, and that, and they are being very effective, uh, in doing that. Um, and so, uh, so for 30 hours, he has been out running around on the ground and we are still trying everything that we can, uh, to find a solution to talk, to connect with international agencies, to connect with all, like anybody that we know through all of these networks to say, like, can you, can you do this? And then, you know, but, and it's like, oh, well, well, you need to, you need for him to have this paper. Oh, well, he needs to have this paper. Well, now the, the, the rules at the gate have changed. So he needs this different paper. No, no, no. Well, they're not letting these people on flights, so they're not letting them in the gate now. It's changed from the last three hours. So, like, even since he's been on the ground, the the, the game has changed. The rules right. of the game keep changing. And so, if you can let me pause for a second, I do need to like jump yep. to something uh, about ahead, this. Pause. We'll pause, pause here. Yep. All right. So we're gonna have, we had a little break there in your back, and um, in that break, if you can. What, what, what's going on? What can you share to give people an insight into how this is going down real time? I mean, with, without getting deep in the weeds, just it's every single day, there has been a new set of rules. Here's, here's, here's what's being accepted at the gate. Here's the paperwork you need. And it keeps, it just keeps shifting, flipping it, you know, and, and what they told us didn't work last Friday. They now went now, and it's just and and it's when I when I've talked with people because because a lot a lot of the time that we're spending, uh, a lot of the time that we're spending on you know like like what like what is it that Digital Dunkirk is doing? What is it that you know what is it that Kristen Rouse is doing? Uh, like what am I doing with my days when I say you know quote I'm helping Afghans? What am I doing? It is referring paperwork. It is bureaucracy. It is bureaucracy to say, hello, uh, what paperwork do you have? Send me all your paperwork. Okay, here's all the paperwork to see, okay, here's what they have. Okay, what other paperwork do they need? Do they have, like, where, where is, you know, their visa application and status? Because effectively, the State Department uh, or the, the, the embassy in Kabul, rather, they just stopped. They just, they just stopped. It ended. Um, you know, they, they didn't even tell people, hey, those appointments that you have next week. Yeah, we're not doing it because there's no embassy anymore. Like they didn't even. And so like Afghans who know to follow the letter of the law, they're like, I have this paper. It's not canceled. I have to report to the embassy. 
because they because they told me, you know, if I if I don't report, then I lose everything. Let me and, hold, let me and, let me hold you there. Yeah. Let me hold you there. Yeah. So, so I've described it. I've described it as the DMV line from hell. And if you don't get to the front of the line, you die. It's also kind of like, you know, I worked security at concerts and at events uh, and anybody who's maybe been to a football game at like, you know, a big football game or a big concert and and you're trying to get one person in. Right. And maybe somebody's in VIP and the other person's not in VIP, except this is this is life or death. Right. And, and we're asking Afghans to change as the rules change where they don't have a printer. <laughs> where do they charge their You'd cell phones? Right? I, they're, but they're being they're being resourceful. <laughs> right. But it's not like oh, yes. they're in their living room and they can work this problem. So you guys are really becoming this like this bureaucratic uh, special operations you know, yeah. unit that has to go through and push this. I, I, I think it's really important for people to understand it's a bureaucratic failure. And, and Zeller you know, said this week for everybody who says, oh, you know, it didn't have to be like this. Well, they started this in July, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They could have started this in April. They could have started this in April and they could have had the pieces in place. So let me ask you this. What's happening now? You know, Biden has announced August 31st, we're getting out which I don't believe. Maybe he'll do that. Maybe he won't. And if he does, what's the cost? You know, we see today that Poland is stopped pulling people out. They're starting to pull plugs, right? Um, can, you, can you explain what that means to the people you're trying to help? And frankly, what does it mean to you? Because we're now, you and I are now arguing out in the open with a lot of people, especially Democrats, who are saying, this is going great. This is a great news story. Look at how many tens of thousands they've gotten out. And they want to pat on the back for getting people out of a crisis that they did accelerate. And it would not have happened like this no matter what. That's bullshit. And so we've started to try to say, hey, yes, they're getting out. They call it now today 80,000. But wartime allies has said they got to get at least 250,000 out. Maybe it's more. But what has this, this, this crush? They're basically pulling plugs and shutting doors while everybody's rushing for that exit. So what, what is happening yeah. now? The Afghans know that the window is closing and it's very possible that um, that any windows that might have been open for them to get out uh, may not be there um, within the next few days, let alone after the end of August. Um, there's a lot of rumors on the ground. Uh, some of them I have heard from credible places. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell you what's going to happen an hour from now, but because uh, it keeps changing and surprising me. But um, but so we we see the we see that the door will close. The door is closing. The metaphor that I keep thinking of is we have this giant burning building. We have a giant burning building. It's the building is in flames. There are a lot of people in there. We know they need to get out. All of us are standing there watching this happening, saying, "Get our friends out! Get our friends out!" They're shouting to us from the window. They're shouting to us on social media, on phone calls. We know exactly who's in there. And it feels like the firefighters are just uh, are, are saying to them, well, no, well, you have to have this application if we're going to consider getting you out. Um, no, do you have this form? No, what's the date on the form? No, but do you have this form? Do you have this form today? And, and effectively, they are being kept from leaving the door. And just because they managed to like let perhaps five to ten percent out of that building, uh, based on their ability to meet these uh, ever-changing bureaucratic requirements, uh, let's say they get five to ten percent of the people out of the burning building. If the rest of those people don't get out, there is nothing of a success. That is a failure, and it is it is it is bloodshed. It is death. It is preventable. Can you talk about? Right now, Kristen, the politics of this, Biden, in my view, continues to double down and be disconnected from the reality. He's somewhat stopped victim shaming the Afghans, but it's clear that they're digging in here. And the story they're going to try to tell is it would have happened either way. And we did a marvelous job getting out a bunch of people. That seems like the, the story they want to tell now. And they're pushing hard on numbers across every channel. It's what Jen Psaki and all the other spokespeople are, are pushing. Um, I've never seen the veterans community more united 
across partisan lines, across every line. Uh, and, but we feel really isolated. And I feel it feels like like 2004, 2003, when we were saying, hey, don't believe the White House, don't believe the Pentagon. Things are not OK in Iraq. We didn't have enough body armor. The insurgency is coming. So and, and Bush was digging in. Right. And then over time, we all saw the truth. So I feel like the truth, the ground truth is something we're very uniquely connected to right now. And the president's not. Can you talk about the politics of this? You've testified before Congress. You've met with folks in the White House. Um, I think it's critical right now because I'm losing trust in our commander in chief on this. And I think, therefore, on other issues, because he doesn't seem to either understand or want to face the reality of what's happening. So can you drill down on that point right now? What are you thinking when you hear from Biden. And I'm going to ask you, you know, what comes next? They want to get back to infrastructure in two weeks. They want to get back to voting rights in two weeks. What happens in two or three weeks in Afghanistan if this goes, if it continues to go this way? And what could happen in the U.S.? A lot of questions there, but, you know, maybe start with what, what's your reaction to, to their messaging and the president? The veterans, I mean, veterans, uh, the Afghan American community, we're the ones who are hearing the screams of everyone in the burning building. And it feels like, it, it feels like from the outside, from these press conferences, from these briefings, um, it feels like they're telling us that, that those people just aren't in the building and that the screams we're hearing aren't real. When these are, you know, in the cases of uh, the many Afghan Americans who've been, who've been part of this entire effort, I mean, these are family members. These are family members. These are loved ones. Um, uh, I, I'm what part part of my team is one of my interpreters who made it over. He's a U.S. citizen. He's trying to get his dad out. He's trying to get his brother, his cousin. It, you know, like like the like, and when we talk daily, we talk daily about it. And he's just bereft. He is bereft. And uh, you know, and and I care about the people I worked with, but. You know, but like to 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 watch your own family uh, in a hopeless situation and to have a window closing. and um if the if the window on getting people out closes, um, you know, just to be real, the Taliban can take down um, you know communications at any time because uh, they they own the infrastructure now. Um, they can take down cell phone towers, they can take that they can take out the internet. they can make sure that, uh, that the entire nation of Afghanistan goes dark. And so that anything that they choose to do, anything that they're doing now that they choose to escalate um, will not be seen by the outside world. And, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it is just, it's absolute horror and to not have that reality reflected by uh, the team in charge just feels uh, like an like an added blow. It just it is it's it's devastating. And you know, to be honest, like I mean, I can't even process it right now um, because we're too busy trying to trying to do what we can. And we're gonna we're gonna worry about all that later. Um, can I ask you to 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 stop for a minute and help people who may not understand what we need to worry about later? Because I think this is part of where the White House has been sugarcoating it. You're a woman who served on the ground for 31 months, uh, an American. What are the Taliban going to do and what have they done? Because people need to understand that this is not just, you know, a, a, like a reasonable group of people that we can negotiate with. That's part of what I think is, is most stunning is, and, and feels like gaslighting, how the Biden administration says, well, we're going to ask the Afghans to let us go through and we're going to ask them for these. We're playing this game of mother may I, but describe the Taliban for people who haven't been there? The, 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 the Taliban's entire thing is just nihilism. They, um, they prey upon people, poor people, uh, who, you know, who, I mean, just have a, a, a society that's, that's suffered from, um, you know, from decades of, of foreign, foreign invasions from the, you know, from the Soviets uh, to proxy wars, um, you know, the proxy war with the, you know, the U.S. funded, Pakistan funded Mujahideen fighting the Soviets that created a monster that was unleashed and, and did so much a, a second wave of destruction in Afghanistan. And then the next wave after that was the Taliban. And, you know, I mean, there's just been so much destruction, so much 
damage of, of family ties, tribal infrastructure, you know, societal infrastructure, and, and, and education. And, and the, the, like the, the wisdom that has been passed from generation to generation, that, like, that in so many places has been broken. And so you have people just preyed upon uh, by people saying, let us tell you about this religion. Let us tell, let us tell, us, tell you about this religion that will save us. And also, here's what you will do in the name of this religion. When, you know, like I was at a rally with Afghan Americans, like, and they were chanting, you know, Taliban is not Islam. It is not Islam. It is a cult. It is a cult. It is a violent gang. Um, they beat people. They, uh, they, they target uh, minorities. They target uh, women. They target uh they target men uh, who don't who don't conform to their their to their cult, um, and and uh, and just vicious vicious beatings, uh, assassinations, um, you know, public executions, uh, just the, the the absolute brutality that we see from the Taliban, and it has been happening in real time even since you know we've been quote you know negotiating with them. Uh, you know, these are the same old leaders. These are the same old dudes who've been there this whole time and they have not changed. They have, they have perhaps shifted in how they manage uh, their public relations. I think that has, that has certainly changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, maybe someone took a shower in there, you know, but, but it's, um, you know, they, they, these are the same old bad dudes. And, uh, and, and I can say that definitively because I am hearing from people on the ground saying, I just watched the Taliban beat the crap out of uh, old people, children, and women. I mean, like my, my interpreter, like last night, he said, I can't believe what I just watched. I can't believe what I just watched. And he was just, he was devastated and had to tell me about it. He's like hiding for his life but he had to like message me and tell me what he just watched and the grief that he felt watching Taliban beating vulnerable people who are desperate to leave. And while his own life is threatened, you know, for him to feel such empathy and, and horror for what he watched. I mean, like it's, I, I, I don't, I don't understand how people don't see the Taliban for what it is. Like, it's like, it's, it's just, it's just so abhorrent. Like this is like, you know, we all grow up watching like Nazi movies and we're all like, yeah, the Nazis were really bad. Like these, these are like this, this is, this is every bit as bad as any Nazi in a Steven Spielberg movie and worse. Like mm. these are cruel, horrific, terrible people. Kristen, um, the political spin is, is, is changing public opinion. Right. Like a lot of people feel like, uh, you know, they're buying the spin from the White House and others saying this would have happened anyway. You know, if we stay 20 years, we stay 21 years. This would have happened anyway. Look at how many people we've gotten out. No Americans have been killed. This is a success. That's what Jen Psaki said yesterday. And you see them doubling down on that message now. And that's that's their political calculation, calling this a success and hoping that everybody moves on. Um, can you respond to that, especially from people like Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from from Connecticut, and also talk about moral injury? I think this is a piece that the American public doesn't understand that we are experiencing, that Vietnam veterans are experiencing, that many in our country are experiencing. Um, can you please shape that up for people? Going back to the burning building, we know the names of the people in that burning building we know how close the flames are to them. We know the smoke. We, you know, we, we saw one jump from, a, from an airplane. A young man fell, fell from an airplane trying to get out. We're seeing this. We know, we, we know the names of people. We know who they are. And yeah, we can say, you know what, the building would have, the building would have burned anyway. The building would have come down anyway. It was not structurally sound. We didn't have it together. There weren't the right building inspectors. Nobody could maintain it. It was coming down anyway. Well, do you, do you, do you demo the building with people in it? Mm -hmm. Or do you wait till you evacuate? Do you make a plant 
or do you do it in the middle of the night while everyone's sleeping? Because like, it's, it's not, was it tenable? Could we do it? Could we like, like the geopolitics, like those conversations are, are like, like, just to be honest with you, like, I hope this is the last geopolitical conversation about like Afghanistan, which we have done. Like, I hope this is the last conversation that I will ever have about that. Uh, because since, since the 15th, since the Taliban took Kabul, the only thing, the only thing that has mattered or should matter is the human lives, the people we know, the people who served with us, the people who boldly put their lives on the line because they believed in a, in a free Afghanistan. They believed in a democratic Afghanistan. They believed that they had the right to choose who led them. They believed that they had the, the right to a government that they could petition and say, you know what, we don't like you, but we need you to do something better. You know, like they, they believed in a free media. They believed in serving in the military. They believed in all of these things. And they are trapped. So some people have described it as a, as a hostage situation. Nobody chose the Taliban. None of the Afghan people said, you know what? That's what do I want? Like maybe there's a few people out there, but like the, the Afghan people did not choose this. A deal was made by a country other than theirs. Like if you remember, you know, the, the negotiations last year specifically did not include any officials from the Republic of Afghanistan. There were, there were no, like the, you know, we can criticize the government, but like none of, the, none of those guys were even in the room when the deal was being made with the Taliban. So keep that in mind. But the Afghans did not choose the Taliban for their government. There is one exit. They are choosing to exit right now. Everyone who was standing, the, the thousands upon thousands of people right at this moment who were standing outside the airport are saying, we want out. We did not choose this government. We did not choose this regime. We will not live like this. We would rather die trying to get out than live like this. And they are being kept from that very exit. They are being held hostage. They are being held hostage by bureaucracy, by gatekeepers, by brutality at the gate. They, they cannot get out. The, the borders are blocked by Taliban checkpoints that are even more brutal than, than the characters that we see at the, at, the, at the Kabul airport. They can't get out. They are trapped in a country under a regime they reject. And many of them are going to be targeted and killed. They are being targeted and killed as we speak. And, and it is coming. It is coming. And everyone knows it's coming. And we're, trying, we're just trying to pull people out. Kristen, the, um, you know, a lot of folks are, are saying, well, you know, this wasn't Biden's fault. Trump negotiated this agreement. You know, th there's a lot of um, double talk from, from Biden here where he wants to be strong, but for some reason he feels a need to honor an agreement that Donald Trump created, right? With a group of people that we understand are, are evil. Um, you know, they've, they've called the election lie the big lie. I feel like this is the big betrayal. This, this, is, this is a betrayal um, that spans so much bigger than Afghanistan, so much bigger than this moment, so much bigger than the military. But I've said before that the veterans sometimes are the guardians. If America's a religion, veterans are the clergy. They're trying to guard the integrity of the country in the same way they had to when Trump wanted to you know, roll out the military after the election. They had, we, we heard how many times they had to push back against Trump. I think it's hard for people to understand now because he's so empathetic, because he's been so good on so many issues that many people are doing the same thing with Biden now. It's clear now Biden rolled the military. He rolled human rights groups. He didn't listen to 45 veterans groups and people like you and Matt Zeller. He still hasn't. He still hasn't even made the attempt to bring them in to show he's listening and he cares. Um, can you frame this up? You're, you're, you're a historian. You're a great student. You're a great teacher. How big is this? Like, it's how, explain why it's bigger than Afghanistan for America and why I think it's about the soul of America and something that is going to haunt us, may come back, and our kids may have to deal with. When in the history that we study, have we just bailed on our allies? 
you know, when, when have we, you know, when did we go to Europe and say, you know what, we're going to be part of liberating France. Um, but you know what, just kidding. We're going to pull out and we're actually going to let someone lock you all in and, uh, exterminate you. Goodbye. You know, it, it's, um, it, it, this, this moves just, you know, again, just outside looking in and just trying to make any kind of sense of it. You know, it's, it's Afghanistan is on the opposite side of the world. Even after 20 years of troops being there, I think, you know, most Americans probably couldn't locate it on a map. Um, you know, I remember when I was deployed there, I would get, you know, I, I, I would get, uh, you know, cards and letters saying, um, uh, you know, how's it going in Iraq? Um, and you know, that's like a, there's like a, there's like a whole giant country in between Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, like, and, or like people will call Afghanistan the middle, middle East when it is not, um, you know, like it's, you know, you could call it like central Asia, like the gateway to South Asia, you know, like, what, like whatever, like it is definitely not the middle East and, you know, or, or just like geography, it just baffles people with that. Or, um, you know, or to say like, you know, can, can, can Americans like name any of the languages that they speak or name a city? Maybe, maybe they know Kandahar because it's been in movies or something or on the news, you know, but, but like find me these places that, that so many of us know, like, you know, I mean, so many Afghanistan veterans, like we could draw Afghanistan on a map and like dot a bunch of the cities, you know, like I could probably identify more more cities accurately in Afghanistan than I could in a state like Montana. Like, you know, like, cause, just cause I, cause I know it better, you know, I've been to Afghanistan plenty of times, never, never been to Montana. Sorry, Montana. I'm sure it's beautiful. I want to go there one day, but you know, but it's just, it, it's the geography, I think just, just baffles people and the culture baffles people. What is it, you know, what are, what are people like? Uh, people think that, you know, from the news, from the movies, that it's just like this giant ashtray of a, of a place when it is, it is a beautiful landscape that just captivates you. And, and I think no matter what your experiences were and how you come away with it, there's something that just gets in you about the mountains, about the people, about the, the villages, the, the, how they, the, like just the unbelievably sophisticated agriculture that they, that they develop, you know, like there's, there's a desert, but then here's these beautiful rich orchards because they, they have such um, incredible ways of diverting water and, you know, and, and, mm. and it's and just so to like, to just kind of like admire that from a roadside convoy and be like, how they do that? Mm. How did people do that? And, uh, you know, like the livestock, the, you know, seeing people out working in the fields or children by the roadside, but, you know, it's just, there's something that's, that just feels really like mythical. And I don't mean to like exoticize it in any way, but, but I, what I do mean to say is that it, it's beautiful and like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And, um, you know, and, and, and I've said to people, said to Afghans, Afghan Americans, that I would, I would love to go back. I would love to spend time there and, and actually enjoy it because it is such a beautiful country, beautiful hospitality, incredible food, you know, like the food they'll prepare for you. You know I mean? It's, it's just, uh, it, it's such a, a, it's a treasure. It is a, tre yeah. a treasure. Kristen, and you, um, I, I, I just want to thank you for humanizing this. I think so, so much more than anyone else that's been in the media and telling stories and carrying stories of others for the last couple of weeks and really for, you know, a decade or more on so many issues. I mean, you, you've been so brave on, on women's issues. You've been so brave on equality issues. You've been so brave on national security issues. But right now, what you're doing better than anybody else I've seen is, is showing the humanity of the Afghan people and questioning the humanity of the American people. And you are a conscience. And I think I just, I just want to, you know, maybe wrap this conversation by I know people in Afghanistan are listening and I know people in the White House are listening. And I want them to know that we're not stopping. After August 31st, you've pissed off a lot of really motivated, dedicated, effective people. And we're not stopping. You know, whether it's the political people in Congress or the veterans on the ground or the Afghan, like we're going to keep after this. 
and we're going to do our best to save as many as we can and and to try to figure out the path forward. So it's not a silver lining, but it's a truth that I think more Americans are going to understand over the next couple of weeks how united and focused so many people are in trying to save the humanity of Afghanistan and try to save some of the humanity of the United States. So I want to let you get back to the work. Um, and I'm going to keep folks updated as best I can. I'm going to ask you to come back next episode. We're going to talk to, um, unless he cancels on us, Congressman Pete Meyer, who just came back from Afghanistan with Seth Moulton. Some are calling it a political stunt. Some are calling it you know, a, a great strategic move. Either way, it's keeping it in the news. And I think you're going to see over the next couple of weeks, even if Biden tries to turn the page, we're not going to let him. And, and Kristen is giving hope and inspiration to so many people. So I want to thank you for that. Um, you're, you're an incredible human being and I wanted to have you on the show just so I could tell you that. And so that more people can hear your voice on all things. And, you know, if we have leaders in politics like you in the future, we're going to be in a lot better hands than, than what we've got now. So, um, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Paul. Stay vigilant, Kristen, stay vigilant. Everybody follow her and, and stay tuned. I know that's intense, but it's what you need to hear. It's the stuff that cuts through spin and hits you in the gut. My deepest, deepest thanks to my friend Kristen Rouse. When I say look for the helpers, she's what I'm talking about. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Kristen is truly a helper. Follow her on social, watch for her in the media, and support her in any way you can, because she's supporting us. And for that, I am eternally thankful. My massive thanks, of course, to my wife and two boys, and to my fearless Patreon members. Thanks to all of you who are a part of the vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant. You've been supporting this show, especially in the last couple weeks, and helping us continue to support Digital Dunkirk. And if you're a Patreon member, you will get some extra content with Kristen. That conversation was intense, but I still asked her the car question, what her favorite drink is, and what makes her happy. I even asked her pancakes versus waffles. We're still having those conversations, but they're over for our Patreon members only. And if you're not part of that club, you can join us for that kind of content, access to events, and other content by becoming a member of the Independent Americans Patreon community. Just five bucks, and you get access to events, our guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content like that, and you help us keep speaking truth to power. America's a team effort always, especially now, and so is Righteous Media. So my thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They make this show possible. And if you like this show, please remember to go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. You can subscribe for free and share. Visit us everywhere on social media and check out independentamericans.us. You'll see video of this conversation with Kristen. It's a powerful one and over 100 episodes of people who have lived the Afghanistan experience for the last two decades. We've got Medal of Honor recipients, tattoo artists, admirals, lots of people who are connected to Afghanistan in unique but powerful ways. Especially as we get closer to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, please check out those episodes and share them. And if you haven't already, go back and check out our last two episodes focused on Afghanistan with Jane Horton and Matt Zeller, the two of the most downloaded we've ever had. And it's all always on the Righteous YouTube page. If you'd rather watch instead of listen or you have friends that aren't into podcasts, check out Independent Americans and Righteous Media over on YouTube and share it. If you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. And Afghanistan is one of those reasons more and more people are independent. But if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show too. join the community and be a part of the solution. And especially now, look out for each other. We'll keep this movement growing week by week and we'll stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. With hope in our hearts, it's the reason that we have a country that people still want to risk life and limb to come to. And past that hope, hope is the oxygen of democracy. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and we're all in this together. From the thousands of Afghans that have gotten out to the ones that are on planes in the air right now, to all those that are still there looking for someone like Kristen Rouse to save them or for someone like Joe Biden to save them 
or for someone like you to save them, for you to be a helper. All across the country, and especially across Afghanistan right now, we're all connected. And together, we will define success in Afghanistan and beyond. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you so much for listening. Especially now, stay frosty and stay vigilant, America. America.